Welcome back into another episode of the All Ball Podcast. Like we do every Monday, George and I are going to go back and recap all the games from the Sunday slate of week 12 in the NFL. Had a bunch of really good games like we illustrated on Thursday when we went through them. A lot of close spreads and a lot of major matchups, whether it was the Rams versus the Green Bay Packers, the Ravens versus the Browns, the Pats versus the Titans, a bunch of major matchups with a bunch of playoff teams meeting together. And, you know, we didn't have those those. 13 point spread because we had even like a Jets versus Houston game. We touched on that a little bit, not that much. We spent a lot of time on these big, massive games. Hope you enjoy this one. We'll be back on Thursday to discuss some college football as well as the week 13 games. Thank you for listening. So the only way to bring in this week 12 slate, this massive week where we had all these big games to discuss the game between our two teams, the Giants versus the Eagles. Giants, you know, coming in as four-point underdogs. I wish that was the line when we were talking about the game on Thursday because I would have hammered them there. It would drop down to, I think, two-and-a-half or three uh, as opposed to the three-and-a-half, and I wanted the hook there. But you know what? Even if I would have taken it at the three, the three or the two-and-a-half, it would have covered there as the Giants came out with the victory, 13-7, to seven, and being in the stadium and all that, uh, I'll take us here. The Giants, I want to focus on the offense because – you know, it's great to get a win. All of that defense finally came out to play. Forced Jalen Hurts into probably his worst game as a pro so far in his career. But the Giants offense still, I wasn't expecting major upgrades with Friday Kitchens or really upgrades at all. I was thinking, yeah, actually, I was thinking maybe a little bit better than Jason Garrett, but I wasn't like, you know, it's definitely going to be a lot better than what we saw with Jason Garrett. But, you know, this team, the offense has scored more than 20 points one time in the last seven games. I get the offensive line and the offensive coordinator aren't good but the weapons are plenty and if you're a guy this is a Daniel Jones thing if you're a guy taking sixth overall and you're in year three the offense can't be that bad for that long and it has been and it's not like you're going against you know the 86 Bears or the 2000 Ravens like every week you're going up against defenses that you can take advantage of and move the ball down the field on them and he still has weapons around him I know Kadarius Tony Sterling Shepard not in there uh on Sunday but you have Kenny Galladay you have Evan Ingram you have Saquon Barkley you have these three guys you should be able to muster at least 20 points some in some point over the past seven weeks like more than one time I it's not much to ask there and it just goes back to the point of you know, I gave him praise after the Saints game where he looked really good, looked like a guy that could be a franchise caliber quarterback. But this is a game against a secondary that has been taken apart a little bit by other teams. And you still only are able to put together 13 points like that. That's just not going to cut it for me. Yeah, well, and then especially, you know, and we'll get to the Browns way later because it's going to be the last game we talk about. But it's it's similar in the sense that. You know, Jalen throws three picks and also there was a fumble by Boston Scott late in the game and you still only scored 13 points. So it's similar to the Browns in that sense where it's like, you know, you win the turnover battle by a huge margin. And in this case, at least the Giants won the game, unlike the Browns. But it's alarming when you force that many turnovers and you just can't score. Um, and it came down to the end. Like they almost lost it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like I, mean, I was I was as tense as ever during that last drive and especially that last play, the last couple of plays. Yeah, well, you know, and as far as the Eagles go, I think um, I, I think, first of all. I thought that there was a chance that something like this might happen. I mean, this is a little worse than I could have anticipated, but I thought, you know. It's it's interesting to see how a couple wins can take a team from being perceived as like a bottom feeder to all of a sudden they're this feisty playoff team. And look, the run game worked again. I mean, look at the box score. Another game with three guys having over 60 yards rushing. It's really impressive. It's something that it's a type of 
attack that you just don't see very often where it's like, yes, some teams run the ball, like the Colts run the ball, the Titans run the ball, but it's like you're used to seeing Jonathan Taylor or Henry having 150 yards. It's very unique to see, you know, three guys consistently having 50 plus rush yards and they did it again. Unfortunately, it didn't really matter because, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that Jalen was just unable to pass. It was one of those games where, um, you know, in a game as low scoring as it is, you hate to have two picks in the red zone because we could have used those points. Even if one of them, we just got three points, then, you know, this game's going into OT, right? It's going to be 13 apiece because we would have kicked late in the game. Um, so I thought from the Eagles perspective, it was just, you know, it shows the danger of what can happen when this team gets behind. Yeah. You know, yeah, there are teams, yeah there, there, there are teams that can play from behind and there are teams that can't. And that's the problem with, the, with these run first teams. And I thought you saw that with the Eagles. I was talking about it with um, because, yeah, I was at the game. I was with people from work and I was talking about it with another guy who is also riding the Giants plus four. It's like, you know, if you this game was played a couple of weeks ago, this line's probably around even. It's not mm -hmm. like Eagles minus four on the road. And that's where I, I really like the spot for the Giants, despite the fact that it was a short week. I thought, you know, these teams were a little bit closer than the four point spread that 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 was at kickoff. I mean, look, they beat the the Eagles. Did They beat the Saints with Trevor Simeon. They beat the Denver Broncos where who you know, they, they're a mixed bag of what you get. We've seen them be look very impressive, but we also seen them look pretty bad. Then, you know, you lose the chargers, but you, and then you destroy Detroit. So that's the past four games and they played the chargers close, but that was also the same thing where, you know, chargers kind of like Denver, it's a mixed bag of things. It's not one and of those we, things. We don't even know how good the chargers are. Honestly. Exactly. So it's, that's, it's came to the point where, you know, it got a little bit of ahead of itself because everybody liked to be the first ones on the Eagles point of, you know, maybe this team can make the playoffs because we're just looking for that second team in the NFC East to contend with Dallas. And they were the, you know, the team that you look at. And I still think that they probably are, but it was to the point where, you know, on the road at a giants team, that's, you know, in a pretty, pretty dire situations and you're getting four points. I, I I thought it was a really good spot for the Giants and it came to fruition there. You know, um, I personally don't do the whole like fade the public or like see where the public money goes and, 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 you know, freak out. But I will say when I saw that Eagles minus three and a half was one of like the single most popular bets of the day, um, you know, it raised an alarm for everything you said, like the, if this game was played a couple of weeks ago, the line would be way different. Um, because you, yeah, you think because you think like the Bucks game, that was the Monday night game. The Giants had just lost. They got carved up by Tom Brady. You think of Jalen Hurts. He's not carving you up in the secondary. That, that, that it's just like no. apples to oranges there when you're thinking about how one quarterback's going to attack you and how you're going to look against him. And then the fact is the Giants, they, they stopped the run pretty effectively, especially in the first half against this Eagles team. And then second half, the Eagles started to get it going. But at that point, the Giants were up already early on them. And that stop at the end of the see, first half was just absolutely massive. But, but see, that's the thing. You know, you look at the box score, right? 33 carries for 208 yards and a touchdown as a whole. Um, really didn't stop the run game. I mean, obviously, like when you watch. Well, that's team, what I'm saying in the first half. The yeah, second yeah. half, they started to get going. No, definitely. And and that's sort of the flaw of a run first team. Although, you know, it goes both ways because it's like, yes, you have to pass when you're down. But at the same time, it's not like the Giants were ever a threat to put up 28 points. Maybe you could have just run it more often, you know. And um, But I mean, look, teams are going to pass at some point. If nothing else, to keep the defense honest and, uh, you know, you can't have m mistakes in the red zone. Uh, I also want to bring up, dude, I just like, this is a classic. This is like an all-time, you know, quintessential Saquon game. 13 carries, 40 yards, and the longest was 32. So then if you're keeping score at home, it's 12 carries for eight yards on the others. That's just peak Saquon right there. And, and a reason that I just don't really like him. I, like, I, I like that you brought up the, the Saquon Barkley part because that was the last thing I was going to touch him on. I'm starting to get really worried about him. After Monday night and now – 
that after like seeing it, like you see it on Monday night, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, the Bucks defense, they're super fast to begin with. Like they're one of the fastest defenses that will play against, or that's in the NFL at this point, because of the, like, you know, the linebackers, Devin White, Levante David, they go sideline to sideline and it looks a lot faster than what you normally see from another team. But, you know, being in that Eagles game, we've talked about, you've talked about the Eagles linebackers aren't great. We have wall linebackers. (laughs) And it's just the fact of, you know, even in person, he just, I'm holding, it just, he looks so slow. He doesn't have the explosiveness there that we've seen, that we saw at Penn State, that we saw in his first or second year in the NFL with the Giants to begin his second, or yeah, his second year. And I'm holding out hope. It's just, you know, first year back from the ACL injury. I think Adrian Peterson set our expectations so high for all of that, for the recovery, for a running back. And he's had other lower body injuries. Like he had the ankle injury that sidelined him for a few games this season. I don't think the drop off is as bad as Todd Gurley, but I'm worried that he's going to have, you know, he's going to be that guy where maybe we have seen the best of Saquon Barkley that we'll ever see at this point where we saw him in the first two years of his career. Well, and and to be honest, like, you know, I I used to say this about Leonard Fournette, and even though he had a great game on Sunday, I still feel this way that I feel like Fournette peaked in college, like, you know, athletically. I mean, the guy was like an absolute monster, sophomore, junior year at LSU. I kind of feel that way about Saquon as well. Um, You know, you compare him to Todd Gurley, but Saquon was never as good as Todd Gurley in the pros. I mean, granted, he was never in as good of a situation. And you have to think if he was on the Rams in his first, second year, maybe he would have been. But, you know, my thing with Saquon is like, he's a big guy, but he's not a power back. And then he's also just, you know, he's not as fast as some of these other backs either, or at least it doesn't seem that way. So it's, um, you know, it's just, and, and he doesn't do the patience thing as well as Le'Veon Bell did in his prime either. So it's just sort of, um, you know, I hate to be the guy, like, I feel like a lot of the times I will get out ahead or at least try to get out ahead of like some things like this, you know, like when I was saying that, like, I didn't like Juju Smith-Schuster back in the day. And a lot of times it'll be wrong, but sometimes it'll be right. And I feel like, you know, in this situation, I, I definitely feel like I've been right about Saquon and yeah, I'm still a fan of his. I just don't like what he's done as a pro, especially the past few years. So I do hope he bounces back. But, yeah, I'm glad that you see it, too, because um, it's definitely a real thing. I've been, I haven't been a guy that's been – I didn't want him second overall for the Giants, even being Penn State guy, you know, loving Saquon. We, we, we saw him come onto the scene, develop all that. I mean, he, he's our, he is our grade when we were at Penn State. Like that, I've seen him grow up pretty much to be from being that no name guy that we saw against Minnesota and to the guy that we saw at the Rose Bowl and just catapult there. But right now, it's a really pivotal point with the Giants because I hope that I hope that's not the case with the Todd Gurley stuff. I don't think it would be as severe as that, but that's also where you get into a little bit of the danger because I just hope they don't they don't fall into this sunk cost fallacy where, you know, we took this guy with the second overall. Yeah, and then you pick. go we pay him eight mil a year. For we need to years. resign him and all of this. Mm. I just think I could stomach the fifth year option if you want to see the second year with this guy coming off the ACL injury, but do not get into the sunk cost fallacy of, you know, we took this guy second overall. He's not awful, but let's sign him to this. I don't think he would demand the the 15, whatever Christian McCaffrey's getting, but if, I still think even like, you know, the 12 that Nick Chubb's getting, if he's not going to be as explosive as he normally, or he has been in his past career where, you know, when we plays those Eagles teams and, you know, the, the one play that I think of is that 60 yard touchdown where he, he, holds up the peace sign when he's 30 yards out because he just knows yeah. he's gone because he knows he's out. He can outrun all of these guys. It just doesn't seem to be the case there where, you know, you talked about the 32 yard run. There was no way. And there was no time during that run where I thought he was going to break it for 60 yards. And, you know, that's just not so that's something that, you know, I feel like a couple of years ago, I thought he, he potentially could have been gone there. Yeah. I think um, last thing I'll say about Saquon is that I don't know if this is true nationwide, but it's definitely true in our, you know, tri-state area, 
Penn State, New York, like all that stuff. I feel like Saquon has like a mystique around him that sort of blinds reality. Like I was talking to a friend of mine and granted, he's not like the biggest football fan, but he was like, yeah, Saquon's like the best running back I've ever seen. And, um, you know, he's by far the best college running back I've ever seen. And I brought up like Derrick Henry and he, and he was like, um, oh, Saquon was way better than Henry. Henry didn't even do anything in college. I'm like, dude, like Henry won the Heisman. Taylor, Taylor was, you know, Jonathan Taylor was amazing in college. It's just like, I think the problem with Saquon is that his big plays look way cooler than anyone else's big plays you've ever seen. Right. And, and that's part of the problem. But then if you, you know, he's one of those guys where you actually might be better served like box score watching rather than, you know, a lot of times you can fall into a trap box score watching, but I feel with Saquon, you fall into a trap watching it and seeing how, you know, I say this all the time, how he got tackled for a two yard loss, but, Oh, but almost though, you know what I mean? He's, he's like, He's one of the biggest, like, oh, almost though guys I've ever seen. So, you know, that's sort of like where my problem is really. It's so tough because he's never had the offensive line. Like you talk about Derrick Henry, you talk about Jonathan Taylor, both in the NFL and in college. Both those guys had really good offensive lines. We know the Penn State offensive line has never been never been the strong point where they can get the run game going. I mean, you look at them still to this day, they've had zero guys rush for over 100 yards behind their offensive line this entire season in 2021. And it was even worse back. It was you know, probably at the same tier it was back then. So that's where, you know, you, yeah, you see the, you see the touchdowns against, against USC in the Rose Bowl. And it's like, like that one that he has the 80 or 70 yard touchdown run that he has. That's, you know, we'll, we'll be seeing that for years to come, but that's where it's like, it, it gives you something that you want a little bit more from him. I want to touch on, you know, the last thing I want to say about this game is, you know, definitely put blame on Rager. Those two drops at the end. Dude, I, I was just looking at the box score. Sorry. I was just going to say, I almost let him slide. I was gonna, I was gonna have to make one more thing. But you go first, and I'll yeah, do. More. I just think, like, look, you can, you definitely deserves blame. Definitely should have caught at least one of those. Yep. But Jalen Hurts was really bad in this one, and he should I not agree. be absolved of it because of the fact that you know, like, what, like, don't, don't think about just the last two plays, and then forget about the other fifty-eight minutes of this game because Jalen Hurts had a bunch of bad decisions when it came to throwing the ball. And it really cost the Eagles. They were like you were talking about where they were, you know, moving the ball against the Giants and he threw two bad interceptions that that saved the Giants in their bend, not break defense and, you know, flip the momentum again the other way. And with Jalen, he had, I think, about 70 yards in heading into the fourth quarter passing wise. It was just not a great game. I just look, blame Jalen Rager, but also blame Jalen Hurts because Jalen well, Hurts was really bad. But also flip that the other way around. I mean, we spent, you know, 15 minutes talking about this game and we didn't bring up Jalen Rager till now. So, you know, blame Jalen Hurts, but also mention Jalen Rager. And, you know, um, I actually, this is a perfect example of going back to what I just said about how sometimes I get out ahead of this stuff and, you know, it doesn't always work out. But when we drafted Rager, it was an unmitigated disaster the night of. And, I, and one of my best friends was like, he was like, okay, to be clear, I wanted Justin Jefferson, but I'm willing to give this guy a chance, Jalen Rager. But, the, you know, the stuff you heard about Rager from day one never really made a lot of sense because it was like, oh, he's a speed guy. Oh, I know he only ran a 4.6 in the 40, but like he's actually a speed guy. He's one of those faster on the field guys. This guy burns no one, right? So, you know, it's not like this is a John Ross thing who, who ran on a bum knee in the, in the 40. You know, I know Ross didn't, but that's like to run a 4.6 and say, oh, but he's actually much faster on the field. So I just think, um, and then especially when you see Justin Jefferson doing what he's doing week in, week out, and just like, you know, it's a classic example of a guy trying to be a hero, how he was trying to be a hero. He's trying to outsmart everybody, but it's just like, dude, take the short thing. It was clearly a, a you know, 
it was a three to four receiver draft, right? And Jefferson was the clear fourth guy. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just, it's crazy, man. It's really crazy. Um, a terrible pick, you know, it's a, between him and Ortega, it's a first and a second round pick that are just like, and then yeah. you look at the other receivers that you could have had instead of Ortega. Like you, you go down the list of DJ DK Metcalf, uh, yeah. Terry McLaurin in that draft. I think AJ Brown was either right. Yeah, or DK right DK is the best. No, AJ was a first round pick. DK no, he wasn't. I thought I AJ was, Brown. I think he was early. Se- I think he was early second. I'm pretty. Right. I'm. I'm like we'll, pretty. We'll do a quick check on. We'll okay. Yeah, you're, <laughs> like right, you're I'm, right. I'm pretty. Caught, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. But anyway, but you know, I will say about McLaurin, like. That's unfair. You know, it's like, um, oh, yeah, he wasn't he's, good he's at all. Sixth rounder. It, yeah. But like DK dude, hundred percent, AJ Brown, if he was available, you were right about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, the, like, and, and look, people missing the draft, right. It's, it's not like it, it has a hundred percent success rate, but to have two consecutive bad wide receiver misses like that, um, it's, it's a bad look. It's really bad. So, um, yeah. Okay. So wrap up this game. Eagles, this dampers a little bit the the odds of them potentially you know cashing the uh, cashing the Cowboys after they drop their game on Thursday night and potentially you know being in that spot to take over for the division, especially given the fact that the Cowboys had lost. But it doesn't you know doesn't kill them when it comes to making the playoffs potentially as a wild card. Right now they are still just a half game out of Minnesota for the last spot in the wild card spot of the last wild card spot. So it's not like it's done, but this was, you know, a devastating loss when, when uh, you're going through it and you're thinking, okay, the Eagles are rolling right now. The giants are on the downturn and you know, it's something that, you know, going forward, they still have a game against the jets. They have another game against the giants at home this time. Uh, It's still, you know, room for optimism, but it's one that you'll think about at the end of the season, if they don't end up making it, it's like we were this close. 100%. 100%. All right. So let's go to, um, let's go to Steelers Bengals. Um, I thought, you know, I've said in the past, and when we talked about this game on Thursday, I've said before, the Bengals are a slow starting team and the Steelers are another one of those teams that despite what they showed us against the chargers, I still don't really believe in their ability to come back. So the Bengals, you know, they come out, they have an opening drive touchdown, and then they have a near pick six that the Steelers were really lucky to hold the three because it was returned to inside the five. So boom, it's 10, nothing. Um, that's worst case scenario, right? The Bengals could go down 10, nothing. I still think there's a chance the Steelers go down 10, nothing to a team that's notoriously bad in the first quarter at home you know, hungry for this win to be, you know, a signature, another signature win for them and what's been their best season in probably a decade. Um, you know, if not more, honestly, um, yeah, it, this game was over before it even started big Ben bad. I mean, I don't know. I can't harp on, you know, big Ben being bad forever, but I think this team is really together. I think the, the pass game being as good as it is, has really given Mixon a chance to have a good season because, you know, three, four years ago when he was first getting in the league, he was the guy. He was like Fournette on Jacksonville where it's like, look, if you put eight in the box every time and our line isn't even that good, we can't get anything going. Not the case anymore. Now there's five guys in the box. Now there's six guys in the box. Now there's four guys in the box. So, um, you know, I just think the Bengals are rolling. I'm willing to believe that they that they just sort of had a hiccup in the middle of the season. And now I do believe them to be a good team. And most importantly, I believe them to be a team that can come back in a game where a lot of these teams can't. So if they can overcome their slow starts, I actually like this team a lot again. So I'm back on the Bengals bandwagon. 
Nice to have. <laughs> I'm sure all the Bengals fans will be be happy to have you back on there because you were welcome, early. You were, you were early on them. Uh, I remember this season, but yeah, that was the thing that jumped out to me because you you've harped on it as a guy that's you know paid close attention to the Bengals is that their slow starts have really killed them in some of these games. And you know, ten points in the first quarter, like you said, the pick set them up nice and pretty. But 31 in the first half, they scored on their first four drives, and that that's something that. I agree with you. They're one of those teams that can come back because they have the quarterback and Joe Burrow that you have a lot of faith in. And they also have, you know, a bunch of receiving options. Like everybody is harped on about this Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and then T Higgins. And in this one, it's like Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase, not really doing that much, but T Higgins coming through. And that's just the, the deadliness of this offense where there's so many different guys that you have to really account for, whether it's even like a CJ Uzama, who we've seen in spots. He's spread. Yeah. Put up points and put up spots. And Joe Burrow has been this guy that's really good at distributing the ball and it makes them very dangerous. And that's where I completely agree. This is a team that even if they get down, I still, you know, I obviously any, I'm not saying any lead, but if they get down the 10, nothing, the 14, nothing, I still have a lot of faith in them, especially if it's early on in the game, because of what we've seen them struggle to do early on in the games. And also because of, you know, the roster they have around them, whether it is Joe Burrow or all of the receiving options they have. And the fact that they can get the run game going is, you know, the missing piece that they haven't really had in the past couple of years, especially, early on in the season where it hasn't been super effective, but in this one against, you know, a Steelers team where I don't think they're, the defense hasn't been as good as, you know, you, you probably expect, but it's still, you know, the Steelers and they're supposed to be this team that's super physical. This is the team that's supposed to dominate in the trenches and Joe Mixon averaging nearly six yards a carry. And it was pretty like consistent churning out yards. It wasn't just, you know, a 70 yard touchdown run that skews in their favor. It was consistently turning it out there. And when, you know, you look at the Steelers now, they're, they were 5-4-1 heading into this one. And beyond week one, they've beaten zero teams that are currently ranked or currently playoff teams if it started today. And that's yeah, just an, I, a huge issue. I think I think a lot of times, um, like I said with Saquon, I actually end up using the longest rush stat against the running back more than I use it for them. And so, like, you bring up a good point that, like, it's not like Mixon had an 80-yard rush. You know, his longest was 30 yards. So, yeah, it was very consistent, 28, 165, two touchdowns. Like, um, you know, Najee shut down again. I mean, Najee's sort of in the situation where when he's good, it's, like, all credit to him. And when he's bad, it's, like, out oh, with well, their offensive line sucks anyway. I don't even think that's unfair. I'm just saying he's kind of in a good situation that way in terms of, like, public perception. Um, yeah, so I agree. I agree with you. I think this team's a problem. Look, you know, you don't want to go down 10 nothing. Even the Chiefs will tell you you'd rather not go down 14 or 21 nothing than, you know, do it every time. But this is a team that's capable of overcoming it if it comes to that. I mean, sometimes you get punched in the mouth. Yep. So last thing I want to bring up Bengals win the AFC North plus 200 at this moment. They're one game back of Baltimore, but they have the tiebreaker and one more game against Baltimore at home this year. And you know, it's it's some value there. I think the the Ravens are minus 170. It's not mm-hmm. an easy stretch for them, though, with home games versus the Chargers, San Fran and Baltimore, NKC, who are all playoff teams at the moment, and road games versus Denver and Cleveland, who are, you know, right back in the thick yeah, of things well, and just outside the playoff hunt. But then, but then Baltimore, on the other hand, so I was watching Sunday Night Football last night, and they showed a graphic, and it was like the Bengals are three and one in the division. And at the time of the game, so now they're one and one, but the Ravens were zero and one, I guess, with the only loss being to the Bengals. So it's not like, you know, a lot of these teams have heavy divisional games the rest of the way, and the Ravens are no exception. And um, that's difficult. I mean, they're lucky that the Steelers look the way they look right now, but I would still, you know, I would, of all the three possible outcomes, barring ties, of course, I would take, I, would, I think the most likely would be they split those. So even that is like, you know, you have another game against the Browns who are going to be desperate. You have another game against the Bengals. So it's just, um, you know, it's it's not easy for anyone, especially these AFC North, AFC West teams as they, you know, beat up on each other and all that. 
Yeah, I, I think given the stretch that they have where, you know, you're going against one, two, three, four playoff teams and then two road games against teams that are right outside the thick of things when it comes to the playoffs, I think odds are they will not they will not sweep Baltimore. But I also thought there were odds are that the Bengals weren't going to sweep the Steelers and they ended up doing it pretty handedly. Yeah. I mean, you look at both the games, it's not like Joe Burrow was airing the ball out. He had to, he was very, very limited in the amount of times he needed to throw the ball because they controlled it really throughout through the run game and through the through their defense, just dominating the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, let's get to uh, Tampa Indy. Tampa won 38 to 31. In the three games leading up, I want to point out one thing. In the three games leading up to this game, Jonathan Taylor was averaging 157 rush yards per game, and the Bucs held him to 83 in this one. I don't think that's necessarily bald, uh, the Bucs really stopping the run because he averaged over five yards a carry, but it was more so I was just surprised that Frank Reich didn't hand the ball or didn't run through his run game more often. Yeah, I am. Um... I've brought this up before, and I thought that they sort of quelled this um, during the game against the Bills. But remember I said a couple weeks ago, I, I said sometimes for the Colts, for as dominant as their running game is, um, I feel like they don't step on the other team's throat. You're up 24-14. Yes, you're playing one of the best rush defenses in the league, but you're up 10 points and you have the best run game in the league. So go run it down and just, you know, run it out. I mean, I'm not saying run out the clock, but you would think that – they would have been able to sort of keep it on and score more than seven points in the entire second half with that seven being like when you needed a score. I mean, it was, they were outscored 20, was it? They were outscored 17, nothing for the, for the, you know, majority of the second half before they got one in and then the Bucks got it back to end it. Um, I think the Colts affirm that they're a contender, you know, the Colts are in an interesting spot where I do believe them to be, you know, a genuine, at least AFC contender, if not Super Bowl contender, but they're six and six. And if you drop a game that you're not supposed to, you might miss the playoffs. You might end up going nine and eight and miss the playoffs um, because they're six and six now. And, you know, it gets tough. So, and with how deep the conference is. So they're in that tough spot where they could totally swing either way. And, you know, you could be seeing them in the AFC championship game. You could be see that you could see them sitting at home during wildcard week, you know, eating popcorn on the couch show it could go either way but I liked what I saw for the most part from them I did too I when you look at when you look at like the amount of times though that Carson Wentz had dropped back and throw it 44 to 16 like Carson Wentz passes to Jonathan Taylor runs that's just not a recipe for your team to be winning I mean when when Carson Wentz I, I assume this is correlated to you know a little bit too you know, he throws the ball more in games that they're down, but this wasn't even one where they were down. I mean, when in the two games that he's thrown for more than 40 passes, he's had two interceptions, both games, one, uh, one INT in the other 10 games. And the team is 0-2 in both of them. I think, I think teams are, are, are scared to even try running the ball against the Bucks. Sometimes it feels that way. Like, um, like it's, they have the reputation of being an elite run defense deservedly, mm -hmm. but like you said, I mean, he was getting five yards of carry. Why not keep going with it? Um, you know, I think, like I said, I think they were almost scared to do it. And you convince yourself, and you see this with a ton of teams in the league. I think teams are scared to run against the Bucs and they convince themselves of that during the week and they come out in a different game plan than what they should. I just think that, you know, you come into it and you're like, okay, this Bucks secondary isn't great. The run defense, obviously elite. And I think that plays a part in, you know, being a little bit more pass heavy than you normally are. And I completely get into that, but to go as, as skewed as they were, where it was nearly, I think. Uh, I'm, it was I'm like 75, 25. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to, I was trying to do the math in my head very quickly there where, you know, 44 to the 60 or whatever, Pat, like between mm -hmm. Carson Wentz passes and Jonathan Taylor runs, if you're going that heavy there, it's, you're really playing into what I think what the defense wants you to do, because at some point you got to expect Carson Wentz to turn the ball over because of what he's shown us time and time again over the past couple of seasons when he's he had just, to throw the ball more than 40 times or more than 35. 
you just got to play your game, you know? And, and I think it doesn't matter who you're playing against. Like you are a run first team that's just, that's found success being Jonathan Taylor first and then using Carson when you need him to make, you know, third and five, third and seven, but it's not like second and 12, like let, let's go for something crazy here. It's not his thing. Like that's, that's where he makes the mistakes that you talked about. I think, um, like I said, whether it be, you know, whether it be what you said, where they think that the Bucks are vulnerable in the secondary, or if it's that they're scared to run against them, realistically, it's a bit of both. I just think, you know, no defense should make you totally switch up what you're doing and finding success. And I think that's kind of where they made the mistake. So maybe they lost this game midweek in the game planning. I, I think it's more so that where, you know, they went too heavy on that one side. And then with the Bucks, it's like, you know, I, this is why I like the Bucks and why I took them on my bet for Thursday when we were giving out plays on the show. It's just, you know, they're the pass secondary for the for the Colts isn't great. Their rush, their rush D is very good. And even though the Bucks were able to get some nice yardage out of the run game, they were able to put 30 point, 38 points, even though Godwin and Evans combined for just seven catches for 40 yards and zero touchdowns. But they were able to move the ball through the air, primarily through Gronk, but through other guys. And that's what makes this team so deadly is that, you know, you can shut down these two guys, no AB in this game, but yet they're still able to put up 38 points because Tom Brady is one of the best ever or is the best ever quarterback, but also one of the best at just distributing to all these different guys. I mean, I, there's countless times where during like big games where they'll show, Oh, look at this graphic of like, or he's completed the ball to seven or eight different receivers in this game. game. And that's just what Brady does. And the fact is that this team has not only the stars, but they also just have guys like Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, Gronk, Giovanni Bernard, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, that he can use his outlet passes and the ability for them to put up 38 points, even though you have your two studs not putting up really the production there, is something that if you're the rest of the league, you got to be a little bit worried about. Yep. All right. So we're done there. Um, Let's go to Panthers, Dolphins. Uh, First thing I'll say is that bringing in Cam is kind of like what happens when you bring in an interim coach. And it's like very exciting for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, it, it fizzles out and you sort of, you're, you're left with the reality. It's like, uh, let me think of an analogy. It's like, um, let's say you quit your job, right? And then like for for like a, a couple of days, a, few, a couple of weeks, it's like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I don't have to work, whatever, whatever. And then like, you know, you have to pay your credit card bill. You have to pay rent. And you're like, oh crap, I don't know about this one. And that's sort of how I feel with the cam thing because like um, it's exciting. It's great to bring back a legend. It's always fun. But the reality is there's a reason that this guy was not on a roster he was as bad as Jalen today, Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, I don't actually think that he was benched. I think it was more so like this game is over. Let's just get him out of here. Um, but, you know, just a really, really unfortunate turn of events for the Panthers, who I believe were four and one at one point. And if you told me that this is how it was going to turn out, you know, after it started the way it did, or at least three and oh, it's just like it couldn't have gone much worse for these guys. I mean, when they were four and one, it was like we were harping on, or I guess I was. I, no, the I schedule forget, stuff. Yeah, I the know, schedule I know. stuff. And but that's still, where but still, man, like, you know, I mean, that would make them, I, I don't know if they were actually four. I know they were three and oh. So if we just go off that, they're two and seven since then. It's just, um, it's just, it's so bad. Yeah. So they were three and oh, and then they lost four straight. I mean, it's, um, like, you know, Darnold was great at first and then he was terrible. Cam was great at first and, the, and now he's terrible. Um, you know, McCaffrey in and out of the lineup as is tradition. Their defense is hurt all over the place. I still believe in this team going forward, but their season is over and it, you know, fizzled out really quickly. So where are they right now in the playoff picture? They're, they're right now with the Eagles. They're about a half yeah. game back of Minnesota for the last about one and a half games back of San Fran for that for the sixth or uh for what it, the sixth seed. 
Yep. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go as far to say that it's over, but you know, it's teetering right now and cam can't play like he was, especially, you know, I, I was a guy that liked the signing. I thought d- despite how he plays, I still think he's a better option than PJ Walker and probably Sam Darnold at this point. But yeah, as bad as he was, I think also props goes to Miami, whose defense has really stepped up over the past couple of weeks. And now this is a Miami team that, you know, solid game from Tua, was able to get get the ball out of his hands and into the playmakers' hands very quickly and accurately so they could get yards after the catch consistently. Um, But this game was just really about the defense just constantly stopping the Panthers' offense and forcing them into turnovers. And it wasn't necessarily like there were some bad throws by Cam, but I thought there were also great plays made and the ability for their their D-line to generate pressure against a pretty suspect Carolina offense. I'm not going to absolve Cam of, you know, his bad play by saying, oh, it's like good play by the the Dolphins defense and also bad offensive line play. But I think it all plays a hand in. I don't think it was solely based on Cam just being really bad in this one. I think he was bad, but I think it's just a combination of things. I mean, don't look now, but the Dolphins are only a, half, a game and a half back of the Chargers for the wild card spot for, with games versus the Giants, Jets, and Pats at home, and then road games versus the Saints and the Titans. I don't think it's a stretch for them to say that they will go four and one or they could go four and one, which would bring them to nine and eight and probably into the playoffs, which is, you know, absolutely insane to say because this was a team that was one and seven. They're, they're so back. It, it's really, you know, I wish we could just freeze life when the, when the Dolphins were one and seven and the Colts were, you know, three and five or whatever it was, and the Eagles were, and we were looking at three top 10 picks for the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's just, now it's like, I don't even know if any of these are going to be in the top half of the draft, the way it's headed. Right. All I think these, it's right. Right now it's like nine, 10 and like 14 or like 10, 11 and 14. Yeah, well, and, and given, you know, that's actually not bad, but you know, given how volatile this, you know, sort of four to six win ranges, I wouldn't be surprised if those are all five picks worse next week. I also wouldn't necessarily be surprised if one of them sneaks into the top five, you know, it's very, very volatile in that area right now. So that would be interesting to see how it shakes out, you know, regarding the dolphins, like you said, man, they're, they're on a hot streak. I know Tua has been really efficient of late, you know, he's getting that accuracy down that we talked about is sort of what was his, you know, signature quality coming out of school. Um, Waddle looks good, right. You know, I think, um, I think they do a good job of just getting him the ball, right. It's sometimes like, like with the Eagles and Smith, sometimes it's just like, I feel like he doesn't get enough screens. I feel like he doesn't do enough like motion stuff where it's like, get the ball and go do something. They do all that for like Gainwell and Kez Watkins, but they don't do it for Smith. And I feel like with Waddle, you know, they do a good job of just like, here's the ball not far and like, go make something happen. Sort of like what the chiefs do with Hill. Um, and I think, um, I think that's been good for him. You know, he had another monster game. He's quietly putting up really good stats this season as well. I mean, all three of those guys have hit. Chase Smith Waddle, no doubt about it. So I think um I think the Dolphins team showing a lot of promise. And they, you know, I think there are a lot of teams that are quarterback away. And I would consider the Dolphins to be one of those teams. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you view it, Tua may have played himself or is playing himself into okay, now we have to see again next year. Although with that said, I mean, if you have a deal hammered out for Deshaun, I still think you take it, but we'll save that for, you know, offseason conversation. Yeah, I, I, I like that you brought up the last point of it because I think if it – oh, not the offseason point, but that if you have a deal for Deshaun Watson, you go do it. And that if anything, too, yeah. was just playing up his trade value where, you know, somebody else like a football team like a Denver, if they miss out on one of the guys like a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers as well as Deshaun, they could be looking to go to him because he'll, he's a better option than I think they have on their roster. Yep. Or, or, you know, yeah, exactly. You just flip them around. It's just like, um, 
you know, you flip him to the football team or, or whatever the case may be. And instead of giving three first, you only give up two and the football team throws a first or whatever happens, um, you know, something like that. So it's, it's a valid point. Yeah, no down, no downside for your young, uh, your young quarterback to be playing well. But, uh, I'm not going to be on your side where it's like, you know, I want to freeze time when they, when the, the, you were bringing up, I wish we could just freeze time. Yeah. When the Eagles but don't, don't, but don't, loop, don't loop me into that. I don't want to freeze time when that was the case. <laughs> I want to fast forward to when those are picks like, you know, 12 to like 20, hopefully. Yeah. Which is probably where it's headed. All right. So let's do Titans Patriots. You know, I really liked Titans this week. I just thought, especially when the number got to seven and a half, it's like, okay, look, I know everyone's hurt. But the reality is this team is the best record in the conference and they're and they're getting seven and a half. And that's just too many points. And honestly, man, I do believe they should have covered because they had that fourth and goal thing on the one and they threw a pick. And it's just uh, it's very, very unfortunate if you were a Titans backer like I was. Um, but the reality is like the real takeaway is. um First of all, the Titans are kind of holding on for life, but they have so many guys coming back from injury that I don't actually think they're dead, but they're in trouble. But the, but the other thing is that the Patriots are like really good. Um, and I didn't see that coming. So they are um, just, you know, a, a genuine threat to, you know, be a contender, a Super Bowl contender at this point, because they don't make a lot of mistakes. They play good defense. They run the ball. And when they pass, like I said, they don't make a ton of mistakes, even if it's not the flashiest stuff ever. You know, it's uh, with Mac, and we've talked about this before. When you're trying to be a good team, I'm way more into the high floor than I am the high ceiling. I don't really care about the high ceiling when I'm trying to win the Super Bowl. I care about the high floor, and that's what he brings. So I think um, I think this team's a legitimate threat, arguably the most well-rounded team in the conference. That's very fair, and I completely get. I, I completely support that opinion of you know, and I wouldn't have. That's where I wouldn't have knocked the Niners if they decided to go Mac Jones yeah, at three yeah, instead of Trey Lance because you know you put him in there. This is a guy that can operate your offense really well. You know, right now, and you, you're worried about the Super Bowl window because you have the guys around him, and Super Bowl windows close really fast. They close really fast in the NFL. Yep. And yeah, I agree with you. It, it's, it must've been tough as like, I'm watching this game and, you know, twice the Titans have the ball in new England territory and they fumble with Hilliard when they actually had the ball, I think in the 20 and then Foreman had like a 40 yard run. And as he's crossing over, I think the 20 in new England territory, he fumbles the ball in a great play by JC Jackson. And then you throw in that that pick at the goal line where I don't think it was the bad call to go for on fourth down. It's just because, no, yeah, it, it, because if it's incomplete there, they get the ball at their one. And it's like, okay, we have to have faith that our defense will at least stop them there. And then we get, we, we continue the momentum there as opposed to resetting where the ball is and giving them the ball at the 25 and to let them operate their normal offense. It was just a bad tip. Um, you know, this offense continues to falter without Derrick Henry. Obviously those plays are massive and they kind of skew it. But I, I said before, they were averaging about 16 points per game in the three game, on offense in the three games since they missed Derrick Henry. And this one, they put up 13. And obviously there were more opportunities to put up points, but it's not like they were really that close to putting up 28 and New England put up 36 in this one. Uh, 13 is 13, man. You were right about that. That's bad. But yeah, they're whole, I, I thought the same thing. They're holding on to dear life for that division. They're lucky that the Colts weren't able to hold on against the Bucks because then the Buck, the Colts would have been really a game and a half back. I think the it's, fact it's that the number. fact that the Colts are zero and two against them pretty much ends the division. I mean, you know, and, and I think um, the Colts, like you said, you know, if they win this week and then they're seven and five, then you kind of talk yourself into it. But I think being two games back with only what is it? Um, you know, five, what, five, games? five. So you got five games to go. You need yeah. to make up three whole games. I don't see it. Um, but you know, th so, so I guess the thing is then, you know, given that, look, they're probably not going to get the buy anymore, but they're going to have a home playoff game. 
Um, so, and you'll have Julio, you'll have AJ Brown, and maybe you might have Derrick Henry back. And that, that's what yeah. you're hoping for this team. And honestly, it sucks if you're the wild card team, unless you're like the, uh, no, the chiefs are actually in the division lead now, but if it's like, you know, if you're a wild card team and you have to go up against them, it's going to be a little brutal. Cause this is a team that, you know, will have some fresh bodies and a team that was, well, that was on pace for the one seed before they lost all these guys for that. Well, for that well what if, what if you're the Titans and you have to play the bills, right. Who are in the wild card right now? Um, so it goes both ways. Yeah, no, that's very fair. That's very fair. I will say it's a little bit worrisome. The one thing I will take away, like the Pats defense continues to show why it's like top three in the NFL as a unit in, in the league, but, and they continue to make the plays like we were talking about with the fumbles and with the interceptions, but it was a little worrisome. The fact that Deonta Foreman and Dante Hilliard were able to run for 240 yards against him and consistently turn out like good yardage. I know he had like Dante Hilliard had the 60 yard run. And again, we talked about before with like the Saquon stuff, it's like, you know, that can skew it a little bit, but they were still able to turn out good yardage, despite the fact if you take out those couple of couple of plates and those aren't, those aren't good running backs this offensive line isn't they're not amazing they're very good they're not amazing so it's not like one of those where it's like overwhelmingly like they're going to dominate you and you know you've brought up the point of good teams in the AFC like to run the ball obviously the patch are one of them but you know Baltimore if Cleveland's able to sneak in there are a couple of teams there where they like to run the ball and if your team can't stop the run it might be a little bit of an issue when it comes playoff time because the secondary's there for the for the pats like they have been for years but if they can't stop the run game against a team like the ravens it might be an issue do you have do you have any of those stats handy like i know you i know you always have like the like how's the pats uh like rush d dvoa thing uh, give me one second i'll, I'll just look it up yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just curious because you yeah. brought up no, it's a valid point. No, I think um, I, and I wonder, you know, if, if those numbers are good, I'd probably be willing to give them a pass on this week and just say that like it happens. Although I will say like New England has been, I feel like for the past few years, you know, they're really a secondary first kind of defense. Like that's what it's built around. So it, it's it's valid to say that, you know, with Donta Hightower getting older, it's valid to say that they're they could be if you were to find a weak point in the defense, it could be the front seven. So they're eighth in they're eighth in rush D DVOA, but then you look at their schedule a little bit and it plays like we like we talked about with the Bills. I'm right. not just like trying to hammer home against the pass, but like we talked about with the Bills, where it's like you look at their schedule and it's like, okay, they played Atlanta, they played Cleveland, yes, Carolina, the Chargers, the Jets, like Houston. Like there, there's just not a lot there's of there's no good run games, games there other than other than Cleveland. They smoked Cleveland. So exactly. So not it's not like they were able to run the ball really exactly. for, for the most part in that game. So I think that plays a little bit of hand of it. So I think it's more so in the middle ground there where it's like, they're not amazing, but they're not as bad as, you know, Dante Hilliard and Deonta Foreman running for 240 yards against. Like, so, so I think the Pats are better than the Bengals, but I would much prefer the Bengals trying to come back from 10 down. Like what if the Bengals go up 10 on the Pats, that game might be over, you know? So I think every team in the AFC and really in the NFL is pretty flawed this year. I mean, I think probably the Bucks stand out as the most complete team I mean, the Bucks, Packers, Patriots, you know, there are a few other teams that you like there. You like their potential, whether it be, you know, the Bills or the Chiefs or the Rams or the Cardinals. I mean, and, but their quarterback hasn't played in a month now. So I just think it's it's a very, very interesting year. What One of the more interesting years in recent memory where I really I just have no idea who's going to win. You could tell me, you know, 100 different Super Bowl matchups. And I'd say, oh, OK, you know, so hey, it could go anyway. OK, so let's run through these next couple of games really quick. Very quick. Because- Both two- Two twenty-one fourteen games. I managed to lose bets on both of them being on the wrong side. Wait, what? You took the you took Atlanta on the pod, dude. 
sometimes I just talk myself out of this stuff, man. And it's just I, like, I rode the Falcons. I, I liked what you said, and I thought about it a little bit more. I'm like, they were the biggest lock. They, they were the biggest lock of all time, and I somehow took the Jags. I know. So yeah, it happens. It happens to the best of us, and it definitely it happened, happened to me. Um, but but well, yeah, real quick. Um let's start Falcons, Jags. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think um, look, they went up early. It was 14, three, it was 21, three at one point. And, you know, Lawrence tried to come back, but I just, he bounced it on fourth and 10 when they needed it. Um, I just think, you know, them, them having quarter Patterson playing was big for the Falcons. I know he was questionable. Um, I don't know, two crappy teams played and one of them won, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, the, the one thing I took away is, like, as we've been talking about, Atlanta continues to beat up on below-average teams. They've got wins over the Giants, right. Jets, Dolphins, Saints, Saints with Simeon, and now the Jags. And it's a difficult spot if you're a Falcons fan, though, because this team's not good enough to, you know, compete against, you know, the Cowboys, the Bucks, like they have been. They've lost – when they played three team, three games versus current playoff teams, they've lost by an average of 29 points in those games. And then yeah, but this team is tied for the seventh wild-card spot. Yes, I think but, the but then, today they'd be out, but still. Yeah, and then you look at, like, they can beat up on the below-average teams. So it's a team where, you know, they're not good enough to actually, I think, even when they – if they make the playoffs – No, definitely not. Beat, to even, like, beat a team there, but they're not bad enough to get a high draft pick, and that's where, you know, you're kind of in limbo there, and it's a little bit difficult when, when you're a Falcons fan thinking, about you know am i rooting like what am i expecting out of this team what am i rooting for well and and and, but like as i mentioned before with the volatility in the four to six win range it's like yes the falcons probably pick around 15 right now being that they're five and six but if they lose you know if they go seven and ten to finish the season then they're probably picking top 10 so it it could go any number of ways i totally agree with what you said about beating up on bad teams i mean you, you think about the Falcons and you think about the Vikings and 49ers and you kind of have to group them together because they're the three teams right now that are closest to being, you know, in the six, seven and just out playoff spot. And I think the Vikings and Niners by a hundred thousand times have a better chance of competing against the top tier NFC team. I think the Falcons have next to no chance. Agreed. And when I look at their schedule now, you know, like they got versus Tampa at Carolina at San Fran versus Detroit at Buffalo and versus New Orleans. They could, they could really go three and three. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, then you're sitting there and then you're like, this team's eight and nine right now. And and they're picking like towards 15. And it's, it's, it's every bit as confusing as, as it is today so yeah. i think it's very possible you know two and four three and three i think two and four is probably a little more likely than four and two yeah i don't expect um, them to sweep the actual like the winnable games i don't expect them to sweep yeah, that's them the all. thing and i was talking about that with the eagles when i talk about their schedule and it was like i know it was new york new york by football team new york football team but it's like just because you have five winnable games in a row it doesn't mean you're going to run the table in the eagles case i mean shoot they might even end up going two and three so you know we'll see and then okay jets texans zach wilson back in the mix um I, I like he's back, you know, really good game to have him come back for right uh, opportunity to boost some confidence. It definitely worked out. Um, it, I mean, if you thought the last game was two bad teams going at it, just wait till you watch the highlights from this one, because it was, you know, every bit as bad. I think sometimes when the Texans look good, they look threatening and then Tyrod will go make a stupid mistake and, and just, you know, it all unravels. Um, and you could say the exact same thing about the Jets, just flip out the names like Mad Libs. But um, <laughs> I, I think like, it, you know, Look, again, not to say it again, but like two terrible teams played. One of them had to win and the score was 21-14. I mean, it's exactly like the last game, really. Yeah, the only thing I took away from this is this game illustrates just because like a rookie quarterback goes in and wins a game doesn't mean it's because the rookie quarterback won. It's not because like give all the – like the Jets won. Don't give all the praise to Zach Wilson because they won. Was Zach Wilson awful? No. 
but the Jets were successful in running the ball and their defense, and especially their defensive line, getting pressure on Terod Taylor and making an issue there. This is not like a shot at Zach Wilson, but it's just pointing out that, you know, not all rookie or not all wins for rookie quarterbacks are earned equally. Wins are earned and they're not earned equally. Some guy has to throw for 300 yards and keep his game to keep keep his team in the game against a good team, as opposed to, you know, the run game and the defense keeping you in this game against a really bad team in the Houston Texans. Yeah, I, I think um, even if it wasn't necessarily the greatest performance of all time, it's just good to have a guy come back and get a win in what's been a terrible rookie season. So I agree. Um, look, I'm not going to I'm not having I'm not putting any indictment on these guys in their first year. They're all in bad situations outside of Mac Jones and probably Trey Lance. But Trey Lance isn't even playing at this point. Yep. But outside of those guys, it's not like they're in great situations. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. You just want to see them progress. And at least, you know, the guy's working back his way from injury, even if it's against a bad, uh, bad Houston Texans team. It's not like like he's going to come out and just light him up because it's still an NFL team with NFL talent. And it's no. not like he's playing with, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs and all the weapons that they have. I mean, I honestly don't even know if you could light up, you know, Alabama or Georgia. Definitely not Georgia. Um, yeah. even, with, even with the Jets all. Maybe Alabama since, yeah, uh, yeah. since, as we've seen the past couple of weeks. Yeah, college football on Thursday. It's been a while. I watched a lot of college this weekend. Probably the most I've watched all year. And it was thoroughly entertaining. All right, yeah, so let's go to... Um, Wow, I mean, th- this one is great. I'm excited to see how you're going to defend your boy Justin Herbert here because I thought um, I thought he was terrible, really. Um, you know, his stats are okay when you take out the picks, which of course you can't do. But I mean, Herbert's the type of guy, like you said, you know, sometimes the guy has to throw for 300 yards and keep his team in the game. Exhibit A, right? Um, I-, I thought I thought when it was 14-7, and and the Broncos couldn't get any more points. And the, and the Chargers were driving in the third and early fourth, I was positive the Chargers were going to win. I was, I was 100% positive. I even took some of them live. Um, I, I was so positive that they would just, you know, take advantage of um, a Broncos team that was unable to put it away, but it didn't happen. You know, Sertan had two picks, um, continuing to have, you know, just absolutely phenomenal rookie season. Um, and, and I thought, again, like Herbert just, uh, you know, he's not the perfect, tall guy who can run and, and makes all the right decisions. He's not necessarily that guy. I mean, look, he's super, super talented. I, I believe that hundred percent, but I do believe there, there to be some flaws in his game. Um, and I thought you kind of saw that on Sunday. So yeah, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what you would say about this one. God, I hate coming on this pod every time the chargers lose. Cause I yeah. know <laughs> I'm going to have to like come up with some stuff. No, it it wasn't a good game. I thought this was a bad matchup. The same way that, you know, Denver goes up against Dallas and stymies that really good offense. This is a a team that's coached by one of the best defensive minds in the NFL and Vic Fangio. He's coming off a bye. And the fact is they couldn't run the ball effectively at all. 12 carries for 31 yards for Austin Eckler. And that's the weakness of this Denver defense is the run game. You're supposed to be able to run on them. And that opens up the passing game. And they weren't able to do that. And they have all the talent they need on the back end with Kyle Fuller, with Patrick Sertan, with Ronald Darby, with Jeffrey uh Jeffrey no not Jeffrey Simmons uh Justin Simmons they have all this talent on the back end (laughs) and all of this I just find it difficult when you're that one-dimensional against a guy that's that much of a defensive mastermind to do that to find success there and look he wasn't good that that pick six to Patrick Sertan it was well well behind Austin Eckler that wasn't a good throw at all the the other pick was also not a good throw I'm not going to absolve them to those I just think it all plays hand in you know providing context there and the biggest surprise for me is that the, there's completely no there's no semblance of a deep passing game for this team like Mike Williams what we thought about for the past four years or three or four years of him is this contested deep ball jump ball guy 
right? I don't think I've seen him have one of those like all season. And then they have a great speedster in Jalen Guyton to go along with Justin Herbert, who can fling the ball 60 or 65 yards without even like, without even like a sweat on him, like with, with no, with ease. So that's where it, it, it was a little surprising for me that they weren't able to take advantage of that at all. And it's not really like they're, they're running like two high safety looks like they do with the chiefs. It, they, they're opening shit up for them to go downfield. I just don't know why they're not doing it. Yep. So, that, no, so that's my, that's, so that's me backing, I guess the chargers. I, I respect the Eckler defense and basically saying that they, they, you know, I mean, Herbert had more rushing yards than Eckler. It's, it's pretty valid. I, I and do it's think like, it's like we were talking about with the Colts. Like, I mean, look at the splits. Justin Herbert threw the ball 44 times. Austin Eckler had 12 rushes. We were talking about Carson Wentz yeah. threw it 44 times and Jonathan Taylor had 16 rushes and Jonathan Taylor had 50 more yards running the ball. Now, the only difference is that um, I was under the impression that people were putting Herbert in a class or perhaps multiple classes above Carson Wentz. No, but I do understand I, the point. I, I still, I still will. <laughs> no, but it, it was a bad game as, as you know, as Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert's like the president of the Justin State. Uh, as the as the president of the Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley fan club, I will not be answering any questions for the rest of the week. The, the, on, the yeah. newly formed Justin Staley fan club. Yeah, uh, to, uh, the one. As uh, as James Franklin likes to say, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Yeah, in that game, you know, I um, I'm a little upset at the NFL. I have to say because I know that they, you know, they flexed out. I don't know if it was the Seahawks or whoever out of a Sunday night game. And I know that they had the option to choose between the, the um, Chargers and Bengals or the Chiefs and Broncos for Sunday night football. And I'm like, come on, give us Chargers Bengals. That's the game that we really want. And only a casual would want to see the Chiefs again against the Broncos team that isn't even that good. Of course, they give us the Chiefs Broncos on Sunday night because they love and they love doing the Mahomes thing and Collinsworth going nuts over Mahomes. I get it, but I was disappointed because I thought that deserved to be the Sunday night game. I agree. I agree. I definitely would have liked that. If you look at it right now, the spread for the Bengals Chargers game is Bengals minus two and a half. And when you look at the Chiefs game, it's Chiefs minus 10. Oh, give me all that Broncos money. Oh my God. Like, give me, give me a break on that one. I, I mean, well, eh, I don't know if I want like Chiefs coming off a bye. Broncos Dude, this Chiefs really... team isn't good. They're literally okay. not good. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think if I was going to take a side, I think I'd have to lean Chiefs coming off the bye. Andy Reid is 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 very good off a of bye. Patrick Mahomes, all of that. And then this Broncos team just had one of their best performances of the year off the bye. Well, you know, the Broncos, it's a, it's a, it's a recurring theme now. I mean, think about what they did to the Cowboys. They are capable of shutting down pass-first teams because, as you said, their strength is the secondary. It is very possible they shut down the Chiefs. And when we're here next Monday and you're talking about, man, that Broncos secondary, like I should have seen that coming with the pass game and all this and that. So uh, I'd, I really like the Broncos at 10. I'm going to take that now because I expect that number to be a lot lower by kickoff. I really do. Then, um, I, guess I, then I guess I'll wait. But I also would be like, you know, if the if the, the Chiefs go off, I'm like, oh, they're coming off the bye. Patrick Mahomes over Teddy Bridgewater. Ted, Teddy Bridgewater, yeah. not really great at all. All of this. It's well, just, if the Chiefs, if the Chiefs score fourteen in the first quarter, the game's already over. You know, and, so and it's it, and it's in KC. 
and it's in KC. It would have been a little bit different story if you're in mile high and you get all the atmosphere there because Denver is a hard place. It's a pretty hard place to fly, not only just because of the altitude, but the crowd there is pretty, uh, pretty impactful. Yeah, but that may or may not mean anything anymore as we've seen. But well, I'm not talking know, just straight up the spread. I just think the atmosphere of like, you know, going into like just not, not necessarily just about the spread. I just mean like going on the road as opposed to playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, one team who has defended home base this season. The Green Bay Packers moved to five and zero at home. Look at that transition. Yeah, it's too easy. It's too easy. Um, So Packers moved to five and zero at home. They have a big game against the Rams. Rams coming off a bye. Rams were favored on the road. A little bit surprising, but you sort of use the oh McVay off a bye defense and oh Stafford had a chance to rehab some of his injuries. Um, I think Stafford's going to need a couple months in the offseason to rehab those injuries because it's not going to happen in one week midseason. And even if you take the injuries away, it's tough to watch as someone who really was high on Stafford going into the season and thought that he was an MVP candidate. Um, and it just sort of all fell apart, you know, one week at a time. And and the pros of playing so many primetime games or America's games is like, you really have a chance to make a statement, but the cons of it is like, I'm just seeing Stafford get dunked on in primetime slots over and over again. And that's like, you know, the fourth week in a row or something like that. So um, yeah, it's, it's not been good for him. And then the Packers on the other hand, just, it look like the best team in the conference. I I thought the same thing. I think if right now, if I had to pick a team that I think will go to the Super Bowl from the NFC, I think I'd have to go with the Packers because they continue to just churn out wins. And, you know, we love the, as betters, we love the adage of, you know, good teams win, great teams cover. They're 10 and two against the spread this year. Like they, they, they are covering the spread. They are winning games and they're doing this without, you know, some of their best players, Jair Alexander, Zadarius Smith, we're out in this one. We've had Aaron Jones nicked up. We've had Aaron Rodgers missing games. We had Devontae Adams missing games. We've had David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, like two staples on the offensive line, haven't really played. David Bakhtiari, I don't think, has played at all this year. And Elton Jenkins ju- just got injured. So they're missing all these guys, and they're still churning out wins. They're still beating good teams like they just did. They were really close against Arizona. Or no, they beat Arizona. I'm mixing right. that one up right now. They were close against the Chiefs, even on the road without Aaron Rodgers. All this, this team is really good. And then this one, they dominate. If you look at just team stats wise, they won in every category from yardage to third and fourth down efficiency to the turnover battle to the penalty to the sacks allowed all of it against a really good Rams team that, you know, I'm a little worried if I'm a Rams fan because they continue. I'd be freaking out because they lose, keep continuing to lose to good teams because of all that they've invested into this. And when you look at their schedule, they haven't been a playoff team in nine weeks. The defense you know, allowed an average of 32 points per game in the last three weeks it is a lot of worrisomeness. You know, right? even when you were just talking there and you said they beat a really good team in the Rams, I was thinking, are we sure about that? Are we sure that they're a really good team? I believe them still to be. So, right, there's five teams in the NFC, right, that we've been talking about all year. Rams, Packers, Bucks, Cardinals, and uh, Cowboys. Cowboys. Um, and it's sort of starting to, you know, they were all this, this really super strong group of five. And it's sort of, for me, starting to separate where now I believe the Packers, Bucks, and a healthy Kyler Murray-led Cardinals would be the top group. And now I believe that the Rams and Cardinals are, or sorry, the Rams and Cowboys rather, are in a, a sort of different tier where it's still, you know, confidently above the rest of the sort of mosh pit that is the rest of the NFC. But I don't believe them to be in that top class anymore. Um, and, and so I think they're sort of in an interesting spot where there's a lot of games left. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. They just are, but it's, um, it, it's, it's pretty worrisome. They have a lot of problems. Um, and it's, you know, the Madden roster not working out. It's one of those deals. So I think, um, 
I do think they have time to get it right. But I also think at the same time, if they get smoked in the first round of the playoffs and they're just done, it's like, yeah, I guess I could have seen that one coming. So I'd be pretty worried as well. That was one of the points I was bringing up about the playoffs. Uh, you know, I don't think they'll miss the playoffs, but they're just two games up on the teams out of the playoffs. And they've got some tough games coming up. They got at Arizona versus at Minnesota, at Baltimore, as well as home games versus Seattle and versus San Fran. I mean, it's not super it's easy. Tough. That's, they're going to make the playoffs, though. I'm yeah. almost positive. No, they are. But the, those aren't easy games. And, like, we'll really see what this team's made of, especially after this three-game skid that they've had, including the bye. Yeah. I think that this will be really telling for this team, and this defense really needs to step it up. Like I was saying, 32 points per game allowed over the last three weeks. And it's just something that, you know, I'm not sure. How, there, there's not really moves to be made, obviously, to pass the trade deadline. There's not like guy. It's not like the NBA where there's, like, a buyout market and all this. Um, but you know, props to the Packers for continuing to win this one. I picked the, I thought I mean, they basically for, for the record though, Odell is the closest thing you can get to an NBA buyout. I, that's facts. That's facts. And he finally came through it, I guess, like in the later stages of that game, like, I don't yeah. want to say it was like garbage time because they made it a one score game. It was they fringe were, garbage. Time. It was fringe. Um, yeah. uh, last thing I want to say props to Devonte Adams for shutting down Odell for asking for his Jersey after the game. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. That was funny. Such, a, such a clown move. Like, for, for him to like in, in that type of game, I think to ask for that and, you know, props to Devontae. It's like, you, you want the Jersey, you should have signed with us. Like, fuck you. Definitely. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Odell is just not familiar with like, you know, tense teams that are very likely going to face each other in the playoffs, that type of situation. I mean, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, and for the Packers, you know, we mostly talk about the Rams, but truthfully, I just don't have much to say. I'm really impressed with the Packers' entire defense, but especially like the back seven. I think the secondary has been great. Former Eagle Russell Douglas comes through with a pick six. Um, it's uh, and like you said, Jair's out. Kevin King, I think, was out. Um, yeah, he was out for this game. They um, and you know, it's funny with Kevin King. I still believe him to be a good player, and I always thought he was, but he just got torched so badly in that one game that everyone thinks he sucks against you know Tampa in the playoffs. I mean, it's a terrible game to get torched and granted, but I still think he's a good player. Um, Does he think but, about like the Hail Mary, like to Scotty Miller to end the half? And it's like Scotty Miller's beating you for a just Hail Mary a to end it's the it's half, and then he just got burned other times. It was just yeah. No, it, it, I mean, it, we, you know what a bad time to have the worst game of your career. You know, it, very unfortunate for him. But um, yeah, I think the Packers are really good. I still, you mentioned earlier that if you had to pick a team right now to come out of the NFC, you'd pick the Packers. I just can't pick against the Bucs. I really can't. And until the day comes that I have to, I won't. Or until the day comes that they lose, rather, I just won't do it. Um, but, Very you know, I, I think that they're neck and neck. And I think that the Cardinals honestly might have the highest ceiling of the three teams. I really do believe that. But I just... Murray's been out for so long. I'd have a hard time picking them, but we're almost, you know, people have forgot they they're playing with Cole McCoy. They had a bye this week. You know, you almost forget that they're there and yet they're still there. They're like eight and three. I'm pretty sure. I mean, they're a serious, serious threat as well. So I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully they get healthy and we can see what they look like. The one thing I will say is the JJ Watt injury as like, you know, it's an interior defensive lineman, but like that one hurts for me if Definitely. I'm thinking about like, you know, the Cardinals, because, I think their pass defense is really good. They've got guys all around there, but the run defense is where, you know, a little bit of a weakness there. And that's where JJ watch really been, really been good there. I'm trying to look at what the, what the odds are right now for the Super Bowl. Cause I'm curious. So right now the Cardinals plus 800, they got the fifth best odds. So it goes Buccaneers plus 500 Chiefs plus 700 Packers plus 750 bills plus 750 and then Cardinals plus 800. Then the Pats plus a thousand. 
So wow. they're, I think they are getting a little bit slept on. I think it's also kind of hedge against the fact of, you know, we don't know how bad Kyler Murray's injuries are. Hopefully he, he should be back this week. Dude, we also don't know what DeAndre Hopkins deal. And you could say, okay, well, every team's injured. As we talked about, you know, Antonio Brown hasn't played for a little while. Bakhtiari for the Packers, Kevin K, as we said. So, like, every yeah. team's injured. But the, but the Cardinals really do have, like, three of their five most important players injured. And one it's of them's the quarterback. Like, like, I'll give them a pass on, like, okay, DeAndre Hopkins is injured. Like, Jair Alexander's injured. But, like, it's not like Aaron Rodgers. It's not like Tom Brady. Those guys aren't missing games. It's Kyler Murray. Like, that's, yeah. that, that is the guy that, when he's out, Vegas swings the line by six or seven points. When Jair, Jair Alexander's out, it maybe swings at one or two. Maybe, yeah, at best. I think, um, but, but I think the scariest part with them is that they managed to win games with all that. Mm-hmm. This team is winning games without them. They're two and one with no Kyler. So I think um, they're they're worrisome. I'm, uh, who do they play this week? Because I, I, you know, I would love to see them with Kyler just back. Or they play the Bears. I don't even care about that. You know what I mean? That's not. A I mean, it'll be an interesting. It'll be an entertaining game to watch Justin Fields and Kyler Murray in one game, as opposed to you know I'd normally be watching two different games, having to watch both these guys. So, do we? Is is Fields definitely back? I, I believe so. I think they said he probably would have played if they had a game this week, but uh, they had a bye. So, oh no, no. They? No, they didn't have a bye. No, they played Thursday. If it, was a game played on, Thursday. if it was a game on Sunday, they think he could have played. They, yeah, they so, think, like, if it was a playoff after game that, on Sunday, he probably would have played. The week after that, Rams-Cardinals Monday night, week 13, so or week 14, I guess. So, you know, that's a good one. Um, All right, so let's go to Vikings. Minnesota-San Fran, our first time ever betting against each other on the pod. And – Congrats. You know, you, you might you might have the record on me when it yeah, comes to this overall. Is this is you know when the Giants won big. with the Giants winning this weekend and getting this win. It was you know I don't even care about your seventy fucking win percentage when it comes to our bets on the pod. I don't me, either, just, me just I around five hundred. I don't care. I want I wanted all of this. Yep. <laughs> Backbreaking loss for the Vikings, though. I mean, not only in this game, but the fact that Dalvin Cook, you know, dislocated shoulder. He's expected to miss some time. Uh, we're recording this at one thirty, like. I mean, we're an hour in, but it's like 1.30 right now. Uh, it came out shortly before uh, the pod that uh, he's expected to miss at least a few weeks. They're hoping that he'll he, – they don't think it's going to be season-ending. They're hoping to, you know, the same way – I think he had an injury last year a couple of years ago with the same, similar type of injury where he'll sit him down for a few weeks and he'll be back for a playoff run. But they, they had this issue with him out early on in the season where, you know, the, the, the offense faltered a little bit and they weren't able to get in their groove because of how integral he is to their offense really – operating in that high level so that's where I've become a little bit worrisome but in this one it was how I kind of anticipated where you know San Fran was able to operate the game their run game how they want to go about it with Elijah Mitchell running for over 130 yards I believe and then with the Minnesota they had to operate through passing the game and that they they went more so pass heavy than I thought they would but they they still operated through the run a little bit more so than I, I think I would have preferred and it was also the fact of the way that San Fran wants to operate and they were able to operate through the run, it led to less mistakes from Jimmy as opposed to Minnesota where, you know, the best case or their best option was to run through the passing game. And at some point, Kirk's going to make those mistakes. And, and they did, and it manifested and San Fran was able to take care of business. Yep. I think, um, I think the sequence where, where it was 14 apiece and then San Fran scored and then Kirk quickly threw a pick six right after that, made it 28-14, becomes a serious uphill battle after that, especially when it's in the second half. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, you knew one of these teams was going to have a letdown. But honestly, you know, outside of Kirk with a couple brain farts there, including lining up under the guard, it's, it's just – you could argue both teams actually did come to play. I mean, that was 
a, a good game between two teams that are on the on the fringe and right now season ended today in the playoffs and I think that's about what it was you know it delivered um I I, I agree that the Niners you know look good the, the way that they you know the creative run stuff that they do is good um and then you know, with, with using the receivers as running backs, and you have Kittle and Juice Check, who are both threats to catch passes, but they're also, you know, deadly blockers. So you have to look at them in both lights. Um, it's a, you know, there's not a lot of teams that play like them, and it's interesting. You know, it, it looks good when it when it works well, when they have the lead and they can build a lead. They're they're certainly a dangerous team. Um, you know, I, I'm not in love with their ceiling or anything like that. I don't believe that they're, you know, Super Bowl team or anything like that. But I do think, you know, if they catch a team on the right day, they could win a playoff game. I do believe that. So I, I think they're uh, they're certainly trending in the right direction from a team that looks like, you know, their coach was under question and they were, you know, on route to giving away a top 10 pick for free. I, I will say this is a team that could beat any team on a given week in the playoffs, but I don't think that they can, you know, string together the the wins for a consecutive to like make the right. Super Bowl or the, I think that's what you were alluding to with like the ceiling of it where they, they could, could win a playoff game. They definitely could. And I don't feel that way about, you know, the Falcons, like we were talking about earlier, no chance, but the Niners could, they could even win two playoff games, but they couldn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I think they could beat any team. I think they, they could yeah. go into Tampa and I think they could beat them. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's like a definitive thing, but I think it's definitely likely. And it's not to like, it's not like, Oh, like it's like, it's like they have a chance, like 1% chance. No, I think it's like, you know, they like 40, 35. I think that's, yeah, that's I, I think, I think that's fair around there. They have, they have the guys, they have the offense. Uh, the one thing that holds me back is the secondary there. And that's, I think, been the difference between what we saw them in 2019 when they had Richard Sherman, when they had Jason Verrett that back there, as opposed to now where they're hoping Josh Norman's able to uh, able to provide anything. And that guy hasn't really had like an amazing season since he was in Carolina. Agreed. Last game, Sunday night football, Cleveland, Baltimore, Baltimore won 16 to 10. This was one of those games where you see why it's so valuable to have a guy like Odell because it feels like 90% of the time the Browns need an eight plus play drive to score. And when you have Baker Mayfield as your quarterback and he's banged up like he is, that just isn't sustainable over an entire season. And especially when you're up against a team like the Baltimore Ravens at home. And that, that was, I think the biggest point of this because they got the ball back with, I think about two minutes or less than two minutes left. I forget what the exact timing was when they got on the last drive. I'm like, yeah, you don't think at all like this team's going to actually go down and score a touchdown to take the lead at 17 to, to make it 17 16 at the end of that game. That, that's just really what I felt like. I thought I took Browns plus three, and I thought that that team definitely should have covered. They were like when Lamar throws four interceptions. I think I saw a stat it was like quarterbacks that throw four plus interceptions a game are 0 and 27. Like, no, this I heard the it, first time they I, won. I saw it was like 50 straight um, the games that they lost. You might be right. I, you yeah. know, how often. So I was on some Browns plus three and a half and I was thinking and sending a message to some of my friends. I was like, how often does it, does a guy throw four picks and still covers as a favorite or on the flip side, how often does another team, you know, pick the guy off four times win the turnover battle four to two and still doesn't cover three and a half. Like, come on, man. And you know, it's actually very similar. I talked about this at the top of the pod an hour ago to bring it back to the Eagles game. Like I said, we're like the quarterback throws a ton of picks and both teams, the Browns and the Giants, were unable to capitalize off all the turnovers. But um, ultimately, like the Browns, you know, like it's great to force turnovers, but if you're going to three and out off it every single time, then it doesn't even matter. Like, and, and I never thought for a second that that, uh, that two-minute drill was going to work out for the Browns. You know, I thought um, once Tucker made the field goal, that game was effectively over because, you know, a two-minute drive with Baker – 
in 70 seconds and no timeouts? You know, I don't think so. And then, it, you know, his, his receivers weren't doing him any favors. You know, Jarvis had a drop. And then I think it was Hooper or Bryant, you know, had another drop Hooper. right after that. Um, they're not doing him any favors. Um, so I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, honestly, the, I thought Baker and Jalen, I thought there were a lot of parallels between these two games in general. Like, and between Baker and Jalen, it's like, um, yes, the quarterback was bad, but it's not like his receivers were doing him any favors. And you, you had that in both games where it's like, um, I don't know, it's just disastrous. It's, it's, um, it's underratedly probably the toughest quarterback decision in the league. I think you just pick up the option on Baker and you hope that he doesn't draw a fit and holds out and demands money, like demands a long-term because you can't give it to him. But then on the other hand, it's like, do you, what do you do? You trade for Jimmy G, you trade for Kirk Cousins, you, you know, you sort of stagnate there. It's tough because like you said earlier, the Super Bowl window is so small. And I thought the Browns did a phenomenal job of building a really, really good team. And they drafted the wrong guy, a quarterback, it looks like. And that's just sort of the difference. And now they're stuck in this slightly above average, but not a genuine threat state. I like that you brought up, you know, I like that you brought up about the fact of, you know, you, I guess you drafted the wrong guy because I remember, sorry, got a little something in my throat. Remember after year one, whenever we were saying Baker was going to be the best quarterback in this class, because, you know, he looked really impressive and, you know, we had a bunch of guys that didn't really look that good in in a little bit of worse situation or just weren't really ready there to develop, like weren't as developed to come into the league day one and be that good. Well, now he's the third best quarterback in that draft class and will most likely stay there for the rest of his career. I want to draw this back because I've been talking about Mac Jones for a little while. I had a feeling it was headed that way. (laughs) I respect Uh, it. It's not a bad thing, but also highlights the fact of what I've said about Mac Jones. Just because he's been better now doesn't mean he will be better than the other four guys taken before him in the first round. Will he be better than probably two of them? Most likely the same way that Baker's better than Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. But some guys are better equipped to come into the league right now and play at a good level and to win football games right now, like a Mac Jones and a Baker, while some guys need some time to develop, like a Lamar and a Josh Allen. And at least one of these guys, I believe, is going to be there, at least. Maybe two, like we have with Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, where these guys develop there. And because of their physical traits, they'll take that next step. And that's where it's, you know, you can't get ahead of yourself. And in this one, we saw Lamar make some plays like that, like that touchdown to Mark Andrews. Like that's special. That's something Baker's not doing ever. And that's where, that's what, you know, they're not, they're not having these questions of, Oh, do we pick up his fifth year option? Like, do we hold out and wait to see if he like performs next year before we actually sign him? No, it's like, okay, we're at the, we're at the table right now. We're going to figure out the guaranteed money. We're going to get these details hammered out and you're going to be a Baltimore Raven for life. And that's where, you know, if it was after year one, if it was all about year one, Baker Mayfield would have been signed to a $40 million contract because, you know, he looked really good. He was a, a rookie. He was probably in He was the runner up for rookie of the year. He looked a lot better than Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, but come year three, come year four, these guys have taken, have not only taken those steps themselves, but because Baker, you know, is closer to that ceiling because he came in as a guy that could compete. He didn't necessarily have that next gear to go up like these other guys did. No, I think um, I think that's a very valid point. You know, the only counter, and this doesn't actually make a difference in on-field performance at all, but the difference is Baker was chosen before those four guys and Mac was chosen after those four guys, which is a bit of a key difference. And maybe the, there's a more positive reaction to Mac. Well, the, re- the true reason there's a more positive reaction to Mac is because he plays for the Patriots. But there's also the case to be made that, like, he was more of a sleeper, whereas Baker, like, you know, 
Baker was picked first out of five. Mac was picked last out of five. That is a big difference on the field. Not so much. In fact, it makes no difference at all, but um, narrative wise, you know, there is a bit of a difference. Yeah, no, no, that's very fair because it's not like, okay, you can look at the Pats and you're like, Oh, how'd you not take Justin Fields exactly, or like exactly. when those guys are actually go with the Browns, you could be like, okay, like why didn't you take Josh Allen? Cause apparently uh, Greg Dorsey, I forget. Is it Greg Dorsey? John Dorsey? John Dorsey. Uh, he wanted, it was between these two guys, whatever. Uh, breaking news coming out right now. Uh, the Panthers have placed Christian McCaffrey on injury reserved out for the season. This, wow. uh, we were talking about before about the Panthers, how, uh, things have gone down with them. That was and- funny. I, I, I mentioned something when talking about the Panthers and I was like, well, you know, the quarterbacks and the defense and McCaffrey, you know, is on and off again. And I know he's back right now. I said something like that. There you go. Yeah, I, I mean, this this is a huge wrench. Like I was talking about the Vikings with the fact that Dalvin Cook is so integral and we saw the offense take a step back. It was the same thing with the Panthers. You said they started out 3-0 and and then they dropped four straight. That was around the time when Christian McCaffrey got injured. They got injured in that third game against the Texans right. and then he was out for the next, I believe, three to four games and they dropped those because the, and the offense wasn't able to recover because they are so integral to what they want to do because they're such great playmakers well, and it's well, such an issue when they're in and out of the lineup because of these soft tissue or just these other injuries that they nick up because they get so many touches. Well, if you want to talk about a take that aged well, how about when I said the Panther season was over 30 minutes ago and you said you weren't sure? <laughs> I mean, yeah, now, now there's definitely throws a wrench in my in my belief of uh, you know the Cam Newton signing, him being like the, the him, you know, raising this team up. Right now they are quickly they are five and seven. They're right again, right there with the Eagles, a half game out of the last bond, the wild card. And you look at their schedule. I believe I went through this before, but I'll go through it again. Uh, they have their bye this week. Then they go to Atlanta. Uh, they have Atlanta home at Buffalo versus Tampa at New Orleans at Tampa. So two games versus Tampa, one game versus Buffalo of their next five. That's a, that's a very tough stretch. And I don't see them recovering right now. Five and seven, I believe, you know, seven and seven and 10 is probably the most likely scenario for this team to finish out the season. Mm, agreed. Wow. That, that, that's uh, some major news coming in to end the pod, but that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back on Thursday to discuss, like you said before, some college football and a really jam packed or as we come up to conference championship weekend, there was a lot to discuss there for us, not only just the major ones in the sec and the big 10 and all of that, and all the things that we saw, not only from Michigan as well as Auburn, but you know, a team like a Cincinnati where we haven't touched upon since they've entered the, the top four when we have Lincoln yep. Riley now headed to USC. So a lot of things to discuss, and then we'll be previewing week 13 of the NFL should be a good one. Hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to this one. And uh, we'll catch you on Thursday. Should be a banger.